Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, April 16th here in New York City. I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Today, we have a little break from the coaches' interviews. Uh, We have a really interesting and really fun conversation coming up with Alexander Amir, who is one of the founders and runs a new football scouting analytics website called Blitzalytics. Uh, So he comes on to help me preview and talk about next week's NFL draft. Uh, I've been paying attention to the draft while at home and trying to follow it along the good thing is just with the extra time i've been able to read a lot of good articles there's a really good one today on espn about tua and just why aren't there more left-handed quarterbacks so i highly recommend that and check it out and then also just uh this weekend coming up the first two episodes of the last dance the 30 for 30 espn 10 part documentary on michael jordan and the 1997-1998 bulls comes out this sunday uh, everything I've heard, everything I've read about that is that it's phenomenal. It's going to be great. So I'll definitely be tuning in and talking about it next week. So uh, I highly recommend uh, everyone check that out too this Sunday night on ESPN. Uh, so without any further ado, I'll start the music. And coming up is my conversation from earlier today with Alexander Amir from Blitz Blitzalytics. Joining me today on the Double Double is a very special guest, Alexander Amir, who is the chief editor, senior scout, and director of fantasy football at Blitzalytics, an up-and-coming football website that combines scouting and analytics. They do a whole lot of great stuff, and I'm pumped to have Alexander here today to talk next week's NFL Draft with me. Alexander, what's going on? Super excited to be here, you know, the coronavirus stuff all going on, literally no sports happening, this is all we have, uh, so I'm, I'm glad we get to talk about this and really break down the draft. Me too, I'm, I'm pumped, I've been following the draft uh, as closely as as I think you can now, as you're saying, it's the only thing really going on, And but it's, but it's a little difficult because we're not seeing the clips of the pro days, we're not hearing the stories of the interviews or the in-person contact that teams have with players. Just from just from the guys who, who you're talking to and, and from what you're hearing, how has the coronavirus really affected the draft process? Yeah, it's definitely an adjustment to make. You know, like, like you said, the pro day is a huge uh, part of the evaluation process. I think more for, uh, you know, lesser known or, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and later round prospects. You know, the first two, three rounds, you kind of know exactly what you're going to get because you have all the film and you talk to them plenty at the combine and senior bowl and all those other all-star games but for later guys you know the guys who have to send or guys who missed the combine guys who have to send in virtual pro days like who knows how accurate that is who knows how much stock teams are going to put into that um and i know teams have, have been having video calls with a lot of prospects you know the bengals have been talking to joe burrow like three hours like their maximum amount of time each week um so i i, I don't you know, we're not so much in the know that we know exactly what's going through these teams' heads and how much their systems really being affected. 
Uh, but it's definitely an adjustment that people have to make, and it's just another added challenge for teams and for prospects uh, throughout the evaluation process. For sure, and and I think one of the big adjustments for the teams is just getting used to the virtual draft and and all this talk about how the coaches and and, and like the the idea of a draft war room won't really take place this year. They're all going to be seemingly at at their own homes or in something like that where they're all practicing social distancing. Part of me has a hard time believing that this is really going to be as difficult as it is. But just like, do you think that the virtual draft is going to affect what it's like in the first couple rounds where we see a lot of trades and maybe some team going up for a quarterback? But with the technology, it's 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 just maybe it just won't happen this year. I do think you're right that people are making a little bit more of a deal out of it than it actually is. Uh, I, I think you hit it uh, you hit it on the head the fact that the biggest issue is that team personnel may not be with each other and who knows you know you, you might have scouts going over the GM's house like you know you don't really know what's going to go on behind closed doors mm-hmm. um, but the, the, yeah the communication between like in, internally between the teams I think is the biggest issue in terms of trade I don't think that's going to be much of a big issue at all because you know teams still are communicating over the phone or like they're not communicating face to face during the actual draft to the best of my knowledge so i think in terms of actually creating trades during the draft i don't think that's a big issue and another big thing is teams uh talk about trades for weeks leading up to the draft and they already have a pretty good sense of what they're going to do so you know if the miami dolphins are planning to move up to two or three with the redskins or lions to get a tua or herbert or or whoever it may be uh they I think they've, I'm almost sure that they've had those talks already and kind of have a sense of what that trade's going to look like if the prospect's available. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And kind of so we're recording this on uh, Thursday, April 16th. The draft is, is next week, the 23rd. And hopefully, you know, teams are talking about that because it'll just give us more things to talk about just with, with nothing going on. It was, you know, this is non football, but like when the Nuggets. Uh, GM got hired by the Bulls. That was like a two-day story just because there's nothing else uh, exactly. going on. So so let's just jump right into it. You mentioned at, at the top Joe Burrow. It's the guy everyone wants to talk about. He is as much of a lock for the number one pick as we've seen from number one picks the last couple of years. Uh, and, you know, just for we, – we know how, how good he is, but just if I'm a guy who's moved to Cincinnati – I've just have never watched football, and I'm going to become of them for, for the first time. Just what's the hype about Burrow? Yeah, so first, just uh, as a kind of overview, he, he basically had the best season ever for a college football quarterback. I had 5,600-plus passing yards, 60 touchdowns, which is a, a NCAA record, to eight interceptions, which is just an absolutely minuscule touchdown-to-interception ratio, 76% completion percentage, so three out of every four passes was being completed and 10.7 yards per attempt, which is like three or four yards per attempt higher than his 2018, 2018 season. Now, from a scouting perspective, I think what really sets, uh, sets Burrow apart from everyone else is his mental makeup. So he has unbelievable anticipation, vision, and understanding of the defense. He has an, uh, an outstanding internal clock, which helps him elude pressure. So LSU's offensive line was rated the number one uh, best offensive line in the nation. But if you watch the film, a lot of that was Burrow just refusing to go down because he had such a good feel for uh, uh, for the pass rush and such, such a good feel for pressure and that he's able to escape pressure, keep his eyes up while doing so, and make ridiculous throws on the run while seeing the entire field. 
And so athletically, he's a completely natural thrower of the football. He gets his torso engaged while throwing on the run, and he can throw from weird arm angles off-platform. Pretty much any situation you put him in, he can make a throw. He has great touch and timing on the deep ball. Uh, and and uh, in terms of his legs, he has pretty, like, sneaky good speed, balance, and lateral movement to escape pressure. Um, Blitholdix was at the NFL Combine this past year uh, in February, and we heard a story about Burroughs, just to illustrate Burroughs' competitiveness and leadership. Uh, when LSU was recruiting him from Ohio State, he met with the coaches, and they wanted to take him out to like a big steak dinner. You know, that's what they do for all the all the major prospects. And he told them, no, he doesn't want any kind of special treatment or any kind of dinner. He just wants to sit down with them for two days and go over the offense and go over the playbook to that's awesome. know if LSU is the right fit and also to like prepare for the season ahead. So he's just uh, he's he's probably the biggest lock coming out of college since Andrew Luck, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, just just like the what you've described, there's certain plays like I remember in the Alabama game, him scrambling for a first down to to really seal it at the end, and just as you said, he's he's deceptively athletic in that, which fits the mold I think of a lot of really successful quarterbacks now, which is you can get flushed out of the pocket and get seven yards and slide. You know, people don't think of Alex Smith or. Uh, Aaron Rodgers as super super athletic quarterbacks, right? But they're able to extend plays, make make some throws on the run, and really just pick up those make make something out of nothing. Even in the national championship game, Burrow got like that eleven yard run to keep a drive going. Uh, he's a phenomenal phenomenal player. Me me and Taylor Silva throughout the whole season were talking about like, remember he's not just putting up these numbers in in the West Coast Conference. He's doing it in the SEC against right. numerous. NFL players against all the other teams in the SEC, Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida, all, all these guys, he's doing it against them. Do, what would it take for Cincinnati to move off Burrow and trade this pick or not take him? Yeah, I I don't know. So if you think about it in terms of capital, um, you know, some people are saying Miami has to trade all three first-round picks for Burrow. I wow. don't think... That's going to happen, and if the, if, I, if I'm the Bengals and I was offered that, I would take that in a second because there's I think Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes are probably the only two players in the NFL that I would trade three first round picks for. Wow. So Burrow's not worth three first round picks. Now I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. It's just been thrown out there as like the absolute ceiling. Uh-huh. Um, I think what it would take, I feel like it would have to be five. You know, Miami's number five overall pick. They're 26 overall pick. And then some combination of late rounders. Because, I mean, you know, Bur- Burrow's so good coming out of college, but also you have to realize the value of having a quarterback on a rookie deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that in recent years. Cheap quarterbacks are the way to go yeah. to, to, to make it to the Super Bowl. So, you know, there are, there are some rumors that Burrow might not want to play for Cincinnati. I, I don't think that's true. And I, I really, it's really, really hard for me to see a situation that doesn't go to the Bengals. Yeah. I- I'm with you. He he's the guy. He he's the lock. But there's, as you said, the Dolphins are in the market for a quarterback. I think the Chargers still need a quarterback. The Panthers, uh, I think the Colts need a long term option, and even the Raiders need, need need a quarterback. So so that's just five teams right there. The Patriots need need one. There's there's a lot of teams who are in the market who may not be able to get Burrow. And this is a pretty good quarterback class. And I just want to start talking with obviously Tua from Alabama. He is a guy who, if he was fully healthy, we might be having a legit Burrow versus Tua argument. Yeah. But he has health concerns. He had he obviously had the major hip injury. 
this past season, season ending. Uh, I think he fractured or dislocated his hip, had surgery. And then he also had two ankle surgeries in, in his career at, at Alabama to fix sprained ankles. Uh, I don't personally believe those are that big of an issue because if he didn't go to Alabama, there's some discussion of he just wouldn't have had surgeries to repair those. He would have just let them heal you know, naturally. He wouldn't have had those whatever surgeries they did that their doctor is known for. But just with Tua, uh, what, why wouldn't a team take Because we're hearing all this, these things coming out. He was a historic quarterback out at Alabama doing things you know, some, some people have never seen before at that position. There, there's obviously the health concerns, but why are we hearing so many teams say, hey, we may trade up to get him, and also some people say, hey, he may be falling? Yeah, I mean, I think the health concerns are definitely a big one. And, you know, the, the hip's a big injury, but I, I honestly think the ankle injuries are actually more of a deal because when you repeatedly injure your ankle, I'm sure as you know, as a basketball player, uh, you know, a repeated ankle sprains and ankle fractures, like that that becomes a compounding issue mm-hmm. and just weakens your lower body overall. So he's an extremely weak lower body, which is kind of, it's a big issue for scrambling and, you know, being mobile. And also when just throwing in general, since the actual throwing motion comes from the lower body and base you need to be able to have that balance and be able to establish a base to throw from and so something i noticed on film even before the hip injury is uh two was he's not as good under pressure as joe burrow is he can rush his throws a little bit and he's not as effective throwing off balance so if these lower body concerns or these lower body issues continue to compound i could see that uh exacerbating the issue he has throwing off balance and operating under pressure. Now, that's not to say he's bad under pressure or bad throwing off balance. He's a very, very good quarterback uh, in general. And, you know, he's very good in all facets of the game. And he basically reminds me of a slightly more mobile Drew Brees. Uh, not quite as effective with, uh, with a collapsing pocket, but he reminds me of Drew Brees. But, I mean, I really think the, the injuries are a big concern. And, like, you and I don't really know exactly what teams know exactly. about his injury profile. Yeah. So it's, it's really tough to tell from the outside looking in. And um, that's kind of yeah. That's kind of the idea. And, and also, he he's a guy who you could say that the coronavirus has really hurt because it's the teams would want to run their own medicals on him in in the visits, and and that's just not possible as as he's not able to visit teams in person right now. There's there's another thing about Tua is that he's left-handed, and ESPN actually wrote an article today, and and they in in the article they said. There hasn't been a left-handed quarterback on an NFL roster since Kellen Moore was on the practice squad in 2017, and the last left-handed starter to start a regular season game was Michael Vick in Week 6 of 2015, and the last left-hander to to start and win a playoff game was Tim Tebow all the way back in 2011. Is there, you know, the fact that he's left-handed being held against him? Uh, I haven't heard anything about that. I mean, I think... It's more about the fact that there are just so many more righties than lefties with this quarterback trend. But it's possible. I mean, the, the, the uh, ball comes out of your hand a little bit differently as a lefty. Maybe it makes it a little bit harder to catch. Uh, I don't really know, and it's not really something I pay attention to when scouting. But who knows? There's, we've definitely heard weirder things come out of scouts and GMs' mouths about 100%. Uh, prospects. My ideal team for him would be San Diego, or now, excuse me, not San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers. Because they have the weapons on the outside. They have a good defense. If he's healthy, I feel like he could add a lot of excitement there. But the Dolphins have the fifth pick. 
where do you see Tua going realistically? Yeah, so I still want to say the Dolphins, although recently a lot of reports are, are, are saying the Dolphins are matching with Herbert and they really like Herbert and are going to take him at five, even if Tua is still there. Um, I, th- I still think with Tua's injury history, he's better than Herbert. And I would take him, but I think you're totally right that he fits much better on the Chargers than Miami because Miami's offensive line and weapons are just not... They're just a step behind the Chargers in all facets of the roster, and you know you don't you want to put Tua in, a, in a, uh, as stable position as possible, and so I think the Chargers are a much much better fit for him, and I, I, that's probably you know amongst those top ten teams that's probably the ideal fit. Uh, if he falls to the Raiders, I could potentially see that happening because they have one of the best offensive lines uh, in the NFL and a pretty pretty close to complete roster outside mm-hmm. of quarterback. Uh, so I think Chargers or Raiders are probably my top two, but I have a feeling it's going to be the Chargers. Yeah, my my sleeper dark horse is with absolutely no inside information, but just a gut feeling. I see Belichick lurking in the wings. He oh, has man. a very good relationship with Nick Saban. They did that HBO documentary together. He's probably getting as up to date information on Tua as possible. They need a quarterback. What is a better way to replace Tom Brady than with Tua? You know, I, I don't even want to speak that. <laughs> I know you got two diehard Giants fans here, so I want to talk about one quarterback you mentioned because the because the next two guys are guys that I'm just not believers in, and that's in Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. So, so let's start with Herbert from Oregon. He's like the picture perfect if you could design a quarterback. He's six foot five, uh, big arm. He can kind of move, uh, but when I watch him play this fall, Alexander. You know, when I'm flipping through the channels, he didn't stand out to me. He he didn't jump off the screen as, hey, this guy is a can't miss. Why are teams so in love with Justin Herbert? Yeah, I mean, you, you're totally right that he has all the traits. I and mean, if you see him, you know, without watching too intently, he looks like he has the traits of the number one quarterback in the draft. You know, he's a huge arm, uh, both in terms of its deep ball and velocity. He's a great athlete. He, he's more mobile and more of a rushing threat than Burrow is. Uh, for sure. Uh, he's the prototypical size. His mechanics and delivery are beautiful. Like when you watch him throw the football, it looks really, really good. Um, you know, his, his accuracy in general is pretty good, and he's very, very smart. The problem is, and I think the reason that a, a bunch of us, most of us at Blitzlicks don't like Herbert either. And I think the biggest thing for me is that under pressure, he's not good. And he gets very skittish in a collapsing pocket, particularly from the interior, doesn't step off, step off flees the pocket too early and is inconsistent throwing on the run. So and at Oregon, he had a really great offensive line playing in the Pac-12 where he didn't have to face high-level uh, pass rush competition, and he was behind a, a, one of the best offensive lines in the country. Uh, when he is under pressure, he can't really create too much. And, you know, it's weird because he has so many traits to do so. You know, even his balance and footwork is really, really good. So I do think in the right place, uh, you mentioned the, the Patriots before. I wouldn't be surprised if Herbert ends up falling, but the Patriots might take him because if any team can get the most out of a quarterback, uh, the most out of Herbert, it would be the Patriots. Um, but it's mostly that Herbert just feels like he lacks the it factor. He, mm-hmm. he gets skittish. He doesn't have like you know the moxie on the field, or it's, it doesn't look like he shows the competitiveness that you want to see from a quarterback. Yeah, and it's also you know obviously Patrick Mahomes has disproved this, and, and Jared Goff and. The, the idea of you want your quarterbacks to be winners and come from winning programs uh, is something I still kind of believe in, but I'm starting to devalue that a little more. As we see Mahomes, he didn't make 
big bowl games when he was at Texas Tech. Goff, obviously, I think his team wasn't very good at Cal. I, I forget the exact record, but uh, is there something to be said about the fact that when Herbert was at Oregon, they weren't really that great? Um, so, I, so from a scouting perspective, you know, production isn't something I take into account a whole lot. Uh, I more look at production, like, you know, in a given game or on the field, mm-hmm. like what kind of, what, you know, what, what outcomes is he creating by his throws? Um, yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of analytics that can be put together. You know, that's actually a good idea. We might start doing that of analytics, how much production correlates to, uh, like quarterback success. It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, I mean, also, Oregon wasn't bad. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a combination of things. And I think that's one of them. That he just doesn't feel like he led Oregon anywhere. He, I, I, I will say, I think, a lot of it is he's a big step behind, like, mentally. Yeah. Uh, even though he is very smart, he's a big step behind mentally because Oregon's system only required him to make, uh, like, one read. And it was a very, very scripted offense. So he doesn't know how to right. go through his reads or anticipate or have vision to scan the field. So I think that he, he's very far behind in, like, Nuances of actually playing quarterback. Interesting, interesting. So, so the next guy who I want to talk about is Jordan Love from Utah State. In our, you know, as as we were getting ready to do this, you said that you were a big fan of him. I don't get it. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll be very frank to say that I didn't watch a single down of Utah State football this year. That's probably on me. But just from looking at his stats, you know, he threw for thirty four hundred yards, sixty two percent completion percentage. 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Alexander, we're Giants fans. We we had Eli Manning as our quarterback for a while. That that interception number makes me nervous. Yeah, the interception number is not great. And turnovers are the biggest indicator of a success or, or a win or a loss in a given game. So that definitely has to come down. I think it's Jordan Love. He had a horrible offensive line suffered through, that suffered through injury and was extremely young, a new coaching staff, and a new offense. So beginning of the season, Love looked absolutely horrible. As the season went on, he very clearly improved game by game. And I think the primary reason that I and others like him, he's, he's extremely polarizing. People either love him or hate him. Uh, the reason I like him is he has a unique ability to play outside the pocket, throw from like super weird bases and arm angles, and keep his eyes downfield and scan under pressure. And he really doesn't get rattled. He's kind of the opposite of Herbert a little bit, that he doesn't have that beautiful uh, beautiful technique, beautiful me- mechanics, beautiful, you know, beautiful form, all that. He does have the arm strength like Herbert, but he's just, he, he doesn't get rattled. And, look, and uh, playing outside of the pocket, he kind of reminds me of Patrick Mahomes. Not that he's nearly as accurate as Mahomes is, but the way he, he uses his body and the way he can throw from any arm angle and any base, he, he really seems like a creator and something that you could do a lot with. That being said, his vision and anticipation need a lot of work. He telegraphs throws. It needs to be way more decisive and trust his read. Uh, he struggles to anticipate his receiver's routes, and his accuracy in general, his ball placement, is pretty inconsistent. Um, but he has he flashes so many traits, and I would 100% take him over Herbert, just because I think he has the intangibles that you want that you won't that you know are much harder to teach than the raw talent or the raw mechanics that Herbert has um, and you know I might take him over to a if the medicals are that bad I don't yeah. know but I I, I mean I, I, I could 100% see him being a top 10 pick he, he he just screams Las Vegas Raider to me like 
it just yeah. it it just fits with the you know the, the the Al Davis taking Darius Hayward Bay, just like the the drastic reaches that the Raiders have made the last fifteen years. Now they have drafted well under Mike Mayock, so it is a different you know leadership group and the decision making has has gone a little better, but. Just from he just seems like a, a Gruden guy, like the big plays, you know. It, he, he just seems very, you know, will will fit in well with Gruden. I I want to talk about now the the Ohio State duo of Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. Yeah. They are both rated so much higher than the other pass rushers and cornerbacks in this draft. What is it about them, just from the scouting perspective? about what's the makes makes them so unique yeah i mean so chase young there's, there's so many things to talk about for chase young that it, it, I, I can't go into it all of it if you just turn if you just go up look up chase young versus just find the game you'll see it immediately uh for you and all all, all the listeners who are listening uh his, his body composition is 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 so he's so long his arms and legs are so long that he's so compact and so strong in his body that he has such a great blend of strength and speed and explosion he is outstanding flexibility and bend he can you know get so low to the ground to get around an offensive tackle cross uh, an offensive tackle um you know his hand usage I, th- I think his pass rush moves could probably get a little bit more nuanced but i mean his hand usage is really good and just he, he's just a pure physical freak he's kind of like miles garrett coming out in that way that he just such he just so uh, physically talented and so has so much raw ability, but he also knows the technique of being able to convert speed to power and being able to use his bend to get to the quarterback and finish. Uh, he's a good run defender too. You know, he has long arms to wrap up and make a tackle. Um, so, and and I know uh, in, in our uh, podcast notes, you're asking is there a scenario where the, where he falls out of the top five? And I said absolutely not. That you know, even if four quarterbacks go in the top five, that fifth team is taking Chase Young. And I really think. If he's there at the Giants pick at number four, he's going to be a Giant. Well, that would make me very happy. Uh, <laughs> me too. But now, just about him, you know, he struggled in that game against Clemson. Does does that give you any pause playing? Not you know, really. Not, not really. I don't okay. know. He just has so many traits and just so much raw ability, and he showed it so many times throughout the season. You know, I don't want to put too much stock into one game, even though Clemson is a great team. Yeah. Um, but just for for so much of the season, he just absolutely dominated, and he, he's his so his talent is just so so good. And you know, when he's surrounded by NFL talent in a front seven, he's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, and especially coming off the the Forty ers run to the Super Bowl, where they had such great pass rushers and such a great D line, I could see some teams. You know, it makes a lot of sense for Washington that. They're going to want to really reinforce that position of you know that group on defense. But there's a lot of people saying now you know m- maybe we should be building our defense from the back to the front and take a and take guys in in the secondary. Jeff Okuda is this number one prospect of all the defensive backs. He's from Ohio State too. I really like this guy. I I hope that he falls to the Giants personally. He, he's my number one guy on the board for the Giants. What makes Okuda special? Yeah, so he, he he's he's kind of ridiculous too. He's he's also somewhat of a, of a physical freak. He's perfectly sized at six one, uh, two hundred five pounds. His ridiculous footwork and mirror ability he basically runs routes for the receivers. Uh, he also has the speed to keep up with like the vast majority of wide receivers while also being able to be physical, jam, 
and uh, be an explosive tackler upfield. So any kind of receiver that you put up against him, he has the physical ability to deal with it. And his technique, he, I, I, I don't want to call him a robot because he doesn't move like a robot, but like his technique is so consistent, it's as if it's programmed into his brain that like he, he, he just knows exactly what to do on every play. And if there's one weakness for him, it's like he, him trusting his technique so much that he doesn't use his instincts as much. But like, if that's the biggest weakness you have in someone, like you've got a pretty good prospect. Yeah, he, he he seems like the the next Darrell Revis, the next Richard Sherman. You know what? What name? Whatever great blanketing cornerback uh, you can. And you know, I remember just just with the Jets, it would be Revis would just take one side of the field, and that would be it. Like the offense was like, all right, we just can't use that side of the field. I think that's really appealing now because there's so many good quarterbacks now that you have to be able to just to stop the pass. If you can get a guy like Jeff Okuda, I, I mean, he, he might be the he he might be the the top highest impact player his his first couple of years in. Yeah, it's super possible. I mean, you mentioned on the Giants. I know John Joe Baker was drafted last year. I wasn't a huge fan of him coming out, and he struggled, but improved a little bit this season. Um, but I mean, a, a duo of Okuda and James Bradbury would instantly become like a top three to five cornerback duo in the league. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I have a feeling the Lions take him to replace Darius Slay, but I mean, if he's there, you have to take a long, hard look at him. So the guy who everyone mocks the Giants at four is Isaiah Simmons, and I hesitate to claim a position for him because everyone says that he could is basically just a football player who can do anything you want. So what position is he actually? So I think the best way to envision Isaiah Simmons is he's basically a, a slightly more athletic, slightly not as strong Cam Chancellor. Okay. So, uh, you know, Cam played all he played from the line of scrimmage all the way to free safety, basically, which is what Isaiah Simmons did. He took like 100 plus snaps at like six different positions in, in 2019. So I, I think it's the best thing to call him is a strong safety or like an outside linebacker. But, I mean, I think that the appeal of him is we're seeing the NFL trend towards, like, super athletic tight ends, super athletic slot receivers, yep. super athletic running backs coming out in the past. And he's basically a chess piece to use on defense to negate that advantage that an offense has. So, um, you know, I, I was talking recently with someone about him, and they pointed out that on, on pro football focus, uh, if you look at the, um, the, the coverage stats, like how much space he allows for receivers or how, how many – receptions receivers have on him uh in uh when he's in coverage it's actually more than you would expect but he's always in the right position at the right time i think you know at, with, with some some more like pro level coaching and pro level or just developing his his anticipation uh you know he, he's basically a chess piece to use against like any weird offensive scheme that could be dreamed up yeah i i think that camp chancellor comparison is perfect because i remember going into that super bowl seahawks pats it was gronk was at the peak of his powers and it was like all right well we have camp chancellor who could guard gronk man to man and that's about as you're saying it's a huge chess piece as the as these guys on offense become even better and better and better that you could throw a guy like isaiah simmons who can be quick enough to guard in man-to-man coverage some of these just absolute physical freaks who are playing offense these days exactly and we know we know Dave Gettleman isn't going to trade back. No, I, think, I, I, I mean I love Isaiah Simmons. I think the best thing to do is trade back and take a tackle. 
But if he's not trading back, take Isaiah Simmons. Like, the value's just not, in my mind, the value's not totally there for an offensive tackle at four because I think the class is a lot deeper. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But I think the class is a lot deeper than, uh, you know, beyond the top four. Yeah, so we're going to talk about tackle next, but just the guys who Simmons could be covering is the wide receivers. People are saying this is the deepest class since 2014. You basically have the three guys from Alabama. Uh, you have the three guys from, from LSU, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. Just It seems like you could wait on wide receiver until the second or third round and still get a guy who is incredibly productive for you and could have a big impact in his rookie year. Who is your personal favorite of of this class, and how many do you think could actually go in the first round? Yeah, so my personal favorite is Judy. Judy. Okay. Um, it's so close between the top three, but Judy, if you turn on the Jerry Judy versus LSU film and watch the first play of the game, he's lined up against Christian Fulton, uh, who's my number two or three. We'll see how it falls out before the draft. My number two or three cornerback in the class. Um, he makes him fall twice on the same round. Like, that's how good of a route runner he is. And that's how much, like, he has so much fluidity and flexibility out of his breaks. Uh, he has so much speed. He accelerates in an instant. And, you know, after the catch, he's just explosive and super hard to, super hard to uh, tackle. So, that being said, you know, CeeDee Lamb is right there behind him. CeeDee Lamb is, he's so good. He's elite body control. Um, he's, he's a better, like, pure catcher than Jerry Judy. Uh, and, you know, he's also a nightmare after the catch because his body control and elusiveness is so tough to deal with. And then Henry Ruggs is basically a clone of Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. but he's a better route runner. So it's like all three are so good, and it's kind of like pick, your, pick whatever flavor you want, whatever fits your offense best. Um, but all three of those guys I think are going to be studs Interesting. Uh, at the next level. Interesting. My, my favorite guy is Justin Jefferson from, from LSU. He's your number one. He 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 may not be like my number. He may not be the best prospect over Judy, but he's just my like if like if I had to choose one, I'd probably take Jefferson because you know he had 111 catches this year, 1500 receiving yards, 18 touchdowns. He can make the big play. He's a great athlete. It was it, it was just something about he also you know came to play in the absolute biggest games and and the biggest moments, and it seemed like every time Burrow was going to someone, he was going to to Jefferson. Yeah, here's the thing. So Jefferson's my number four wide receiver right now, and I agree that I think uh, he's going to be an absolutely rock-solid number two receiver. And if you put him you know, on the Saints, for example, I, that's who I would love to see him go to. Uh-huh. If you put him on the Saints opposite Michael Thomas, that's going to be ridiculously hard to stop. Because right. he's such a crafty route runner. His hands are extremely reliable, and he's got the awareness, the body control, and the physicality thing for me with him is one he played opposite jamar chase mm-hmm. who if he, jamar chase is coming out in this class he might be the number one receiver he might Interesting. be considered better than judy and Lamb. i haven't watched him in full yet but jamar chase is a is the real deal so jefferson never played against the other team's number one cornerback so i think okay. it's a big thing to keep in mind um and also he kind of lacks like top end quickness agility explosion and speed that the other three guys have now mm. he's very good all around and he's rock solid i just don't know if he can be a pure number one receiver at the nfl but i mean he has so many traits that you you know if he fits on any roster also yeah i i mean lsu played 15 games this year he, he only had two games where he had fewer than five catches like that's yeah. just incredible production touchdowns you know he dominated the oklahoma game 
Uh, that's why he's my favorite. And, you know, I, I personally think that we could see in this draft there being a run on wide receivers where uh, there could be five or six taken in the first round. Because I can see people saying, you know, we're going to wait, we're going to wait, we're going to wait, and then be like, oh, wait, at 11 or 12, hey, this, like all these receivers are up, hey, boom, 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 four receivers off the board in a row. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, if you think about uh, if you think about positional value, wide receivers towards the bottom, we're actually in the middle of doing like a group uh, Blitzalytics mock draft where each person is representing a couple of teams. Okay. And uh, four wide receivers went in the first round. And like Blitz is super high in positional value. And despite that, still Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, and Jefferson went in the first round. Uh, we're now nearing the end of the second round and no other wide receivers have gone, I don't think. Uh, sorry, T. Higgins went early in the second. Okay. Um, so we I like him too. Go through the second. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Um, I think he's a little more like niche. I don't uh-huh. think he's necessarily a true number one in every offense, but he, you know his catch radius, contested catch ability is great. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, mean, I could 100% see six wide receivers going in the first round. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Also, it's also just just from the things that we've learned is that there's still a lot of teams who aren't very smart in terms of positional value and teams make decisions for a lot of different reasons. And I, you know, it's that's why we see when these guys fall, a lot of teams are afraid to take them. And then when you see other teams taking someone from one position, it's wait, should we be taking a a wide receiver, too? So there's a big psychological component. I want to talk about offensive line now. And, and, you know, also we could talk about some of the top defensive line guys besides Chase Young, too. But this is a very strong offensive tackle draft, it seems like. I always, you know, just just from the fans' perspective, I understand you offensive line is cr- crucial to being a, a good winning football team. But it's not fun when your team takes an offensive lineman in the first round because there are no YouTube clips of them scoring awesome touchdowns or, you know, just – making great catches their their ta- you know their uh, offensive tackles highlight clip is just pancaking someone which is cool but like it's blocking and footwork and everything how do you even scout uh, an offensive tackle compared to some of the other top guys like what are the things that you look for on film definitely so offensive tackle i think it's probably the most even including quarterback i think it's the most technically oriented position so you need such a great combination of athleticism and technique to scout an offensive lineman. So, it, so uh, when I'm scouting offensive linemen, I kind of work from the bottom up. So I look at the feet first, look at the footwork, how coordinated are they, how balanced are they, do they keep a wide base uh, when they're going back to their pass sets. When I look at the knees, how much knee bend do they get, how much flexibility, flexibility do they show to be able to sit back in their stance or you know use leg drive to push someone back in in, in uh, run blocking, then I look at the hips, how much hip flexibility do they have to be able to, you know, also sit back in their stance and you know, uh, create an anchor. Then you look at the upper body, how well do they use their hands, how strong their hands are, where their pan placement is in blocking. Can they, like, engage with defensive linemen? Can they, are they uh, placing their punches right to, like, knock defensive linemen off their pass rush pads? Um, and then you also look at just the upper body, how tall they play and all that. And then you just want to look at the athleticism in general. How strong are they? How just big and wide they are? Because if you think about it, if, if you're trying to, if you're a defensive lineman trying to get around an offensive tackle, if they're a wide, big, wide person, it's just harder to get around. So right. you know, body composition is something to think about. Um, you know, speed, 
a change of direction. There's just so many things that go into playing offensive tackle. But you're right that as a fan, you know, as a Giants fan, I want to see Isaiah Simmons. Just so, like, on every play, I can see him make some crazy tackle. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you really, you know, pay attention to offensive linemen, like they're really focusing on that. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun position to scout, actually, because there's just so much that goes into it and so many variables. So who are your favorite prospects? My, my personal favorite is uh, Thomas from Georgia, because just because he's played three years, he was a left tackle. I'm pretty sure he started at right tackle his freshman year, too. So he's played along the line a lot of game experience, and I think he's just a guy who has been incredibly productive at his time in college. He's been he- pretty healthy. And just with the shortened off season, with the virus looming, and and also just with the fewer practices and reps, I feel like he's a guy who can plug in immediately, uh, and and be successful in his first couple of seasons. Yeah, you're totally right. I think Thomas is definitely the most pro ready prospect, and I think if you're a team like the Buccaneers, you're praying that you're praying that any any of these tackles fall to you. But yeah. If there's one that you could pick, if I'm the Buccaneers, I'm taking Andrew Thomas because one, you know, he can play the left side. Jedrick Wills only played the right side. Not that I don't think he can. Uh, but, you know, Thomas, he's a left tackle. He has all the traits you want. Like, he showed, he looks like he can, you can stick him in the NFL right now, like you said, and he'll be effective. Uh, my number one ranked tackle prospect is Jedrick Wills, mm-hmm. uh, just because I think he's a little bit better than Thomas because I think his footwork is a little bit better. He's a little bit more consistent. Uh, against and, and a, little, a little more consistent and a little bit better against speed rushers. So I think you know I'm a little more comfortable with Wills. But again, like Thomas is probably the most pro ready by a little bit. Wills is also right there with him. Uh, my number two tackle is Makai Becton from Louisville. Okay. He's, I don't know if you watched him at all, but he's six foot seven, 364 pounds, and has ridiculous mobility. The first time I watched him, I didn't know anything about him or how big he was and i saw him like oh this guy moves like pretty well his footwork's pretty coordinated and balanced and all that and i looked at his size and i'm like wait he moves that well at that size yeah so he's, he's a combine uh warrior he's he he he's one of the guys who dominated the the combine with his athleticism yeah he's, he's an absolute freak his strength is unbelievable and if you try and run through him you just can't like even even the strongest nfl guy will have a tough time running through Beckton. so but, I mean, like you, like we said, all three of these guys are great. And I want to just touch, talk about Tristan Wirth. Yeah, quickly. he he was I the guy think, who I wanted to mention, too. Yeah, so I think he would be a, a better suited at guard, actually, because he allows, uh, you know, he can he can get overzealous and run blocking, first of all, and lose balance. Like, when you, when you kick him out to the second level, um, you know, I think as a guard with more, like, direction, you know, just pulling and, like, having one guy to hit, he'd be a little bit more effective. And also in pass protection, as a tackle, he opens up his hips too early and kind of, uh, you know, allows the uh, defensive end to get too too good of an angle to get to the quarterback. So his overwhelming strength and, you know, explosion off the line and anchor and strong hands fit a little better at guard to me. But I think he could still be a very good tackle. He's just fourth on the tackle list because of that. I also just think that, you know, he went to Iowa. Iowa has produced some very good linemen in the yeah. past. That definitely helps with my perception of him. Was just the coaching he got in college compared to, you know, as as much as uh, Becton dominated the combine. He's a had a good college career and is an athletic freak. 
Louisville just hasn't come out with a lot of really good linemen. I, I feel more secure in, in knowing what I'm getting from an Iowa coaching staff. Does, does, does that affect the draft process uh, at all? Yeah, I do think that's something to consider. Um, I, think, I think a lot of it is, yeah, I think one for guys coming from Iowa, like Worst knows the technique and he's had coaching. And, you know, I think that helps his ability to show all, like show what he can do with his traits mm-hmm. and how it will be applicable to the NFL. I still think, though, despite the coaching, there are like a couple glaring technique issues that he has. Gotcha. So that worries me a little bit. In terms of Beckton, um, he, he, he's kind of funny because he just doesn't need to use his technique because he's so strong. Um, so he definitely needs to like, learn how to do that at an NFL level. But you're totally right that he has a much bigger learning curve uh, than the other guys will. And, you know, with the shortened offseason that – NFL teams are going to face, you know, if, again, if you're a team that's trying to compete this year, like the Bucs, or even, you know, if you're like the Cardinals and you think you're going to have a good shot to make some kind of run in the NFC this year, you might want to take another tackle over Beckton because you just don't know how uh, you're going to be able to prepare him with what this offseason might look like. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Flipping to the defensive side, for instance, we, we both mentioned that our biggest fear for our Giants at number four is Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. <laughs> Nothing against Derek Brown. He, he had a good college career, uh, did, did well at the Combines. He's a huge talent. But just because the Giants have too many defensive tackles, but that has not stopped Dave Gettleman in the past at all in making you know, roster moves. Talk about a, a little bit Derek Brown, because he's a guy who did something a little unusual in that he could have been a first-round pick last year, but he stayed for his senior year and is now probably going to be picked in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, he, so he's just he's like a freak all around. I mean, his strength is unbelievable. He can explode off the line. Um, he, he can eat up two gaps with no problem. He gets, he gets super low to the ground with leverage and you know, if you really want a guy, he's not, he's not really, I think he's best, you know, playing inside the guard's shoulder or in a three technique, which is outside of the guard's shoulder. Um, I think somewhere in the middle just to eat up space and to also be able to penetrate in the middle is such a good ability. Um, you know, last year we saw Quinnen Williams coming out and mm-hmm. he showed so much of that in college. Unfortunately, it didn't translate to the NFL this past year, at least. Um, but just, it, it's such, uh, you saw it when Quinnen was at Alabama, you see with Derek Brown now, it's such a valuable ability to have on a defensive line for a guy that can eat up space in the middle for the edge rushers to get to the quarterback or to be able to penetrate from the middle and, and you know, really flush quarterbacks out of the pocket. Um, so Derek Brown's the, no, the number one defensive tackle, but I think only by a little bit because yeah. Javon Kinlaw, he's a fan favorite here at Blitz. Okay. Um, and he has even better – I think his length is ridiculous – his explosion is better than Brown's, and he's more versatile than Brown, that he can play as a defensive end five technique like uh, uh, further out along the defensive line. So uh, I think Kinlaw is going to be – he's going to be a real steal if he falls to like the mid-14, 15, 16, round, uh, 16 pick uh, area because he, he's nearly, if not as good as Brown is. Interesting, interesting. Now – what do you think of I, – I have to ask this question. I'm, I'm a poly-prep guy from, from Brooklyn. Isaiah Wilson went to Georgia. He went to poly-prep. There's been some reports I've seen on him that saying, hey, 
he could sneak into the, the back end of the first round, and then there's some projections have him down in the fourth and fifth round. He's he's a sleeper for me just because he's a Brooklyn guy. W- what do you think of uh, Isaiah Wilson, the big uh, offensive tackle from Georgia? Yeah, I'm actually a very, very big fan of Wilson. I think when, if you watch his tape, it kind of looks like – so he, he's only played for two seasons yeah. uh, at Georgia, so he, he's pretty uh, limited in his reps and like understanding of how to play tackle. And if you watch him, it kind of looks like he's just not – comfortable like he hasn't figured out a comfortable pass set yet but despite that he still dominates much more often than not and he has crazy good strength he's he is coordination he has lateral movement ability you know there's a plenty of techniques to work on with him and just like to figure out how he can use his massive body because he's a he's a big dude yeah um but i i really really like him as like if if you're not desperate for a plug-and-play guy I think he's a great second round value. I, I think late first a little bit rich for me, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, who knows? And I think another guy that I want to bring on bring on the radar because uh, he's much lower on people's boards than he is at Blitz is Ben Barch. Okay, he, goes, he went to St. John's, uh, Minnesota, which is a D three. Got to rep for the D three yeah, guys. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah, you're you're D three guy. You need that. Um, so he he was a converted tight end actually. And he has outstanding movement skills since he was a converted tight end. He has tons of bend and flexibility. And uh, at the same time, his technique is extremely impressive for the D3 level. Uh-huh. You don't usually see that from a D3 guy. And his technique is like near pro ready. Uh, the thing, uh, the, I guess the, the, the two knocks on him is his arms are a little bit short. And um, his, his overall strength could improve because he's six foot six, but he's only 309 pounds. But if you think about it, he's also only 21 years old and has plenty of room to grow in his frame. So I think in an NFL training program, it's not going to be an issue at all to uh, boost up his weight and overall strength. I still think his strength isn't even that bad. Um, you know, And if it doesn't work at tackle, I think he'll be a very, very good guard. So he's currently uh, actually have worse listed as an interior offensive lineman. So he's currently fourth on my offensive tackle big board. And also, the, the last D3 offensive lineman was taken was Ali Marpet from Hobart in upstate New York, and he's had a very good uh, career so far. Talk to yeah, me. We, we have, sorry. No, no, no. no. We, we have a top five series uh, breaking down uh, uh, the top five at each uh, position in the draft and then going into some later round guys. Uh, you guys should check that out. It's on Blitzlinks.com and Twitter and YouTube and all that. Um, but we mentioned Ben Barch and. Uh, Ali Marpet together that mm-hmm. Marpet was the last guy coming from a D3 school that showed that technique that Ben Barch has for sure I, I'm a you gotta pull for all the D3 guys talk, <laughs> exactly. talk to me about Grant Delpit for a second safe he's he's the safety from LSU he's a guy who I saw last year when Kuiper and McShay did their way too early big boards and stuff he was a guy who was being rated in the top five at the start of the season and now he's kind of falling where he could be a mid to late first round draft pick. I don't understand it. He, to me, seems like a guy who could have played in the NFL last season. He could play right now. He had a very, very good career at, at LSU. Why is Delpit falling down teams' big boards? Yeah, so Delpit's been, he dealt with injuries the past couple of years, and his tackling was pretty rough. So the tackling angles that he took were not good. And you know, he let a lot of tackles slip through his fingers. And I think that's okay. something that teams really value. And I think that's a reason that Xavier McKinney from Alabama is being valued more highly than Delta because he has close to Delta's range, 
and is, but is, is like more versatile in the sense that he can play the run and can tackle. That being said, Delphi's tackling improved a lot in 2019 from 2018. And I think if you're a team looking for a, like a pure free safety, you can't get better than Delphi because there's a range and anticipation of, of receivers and routes and ball skills are all outstanding. Um, I, I think teams do undervalue the free safety position yeah. more than every other position on defense, which also could be why he's dropping down a little bit. Yeah, he, he seems like a guy who is going to be picked in, in the 20s. He's going to go to a good team because good teams pick in the 20s. He's going to be playing well in the playoffs. And then when people yeah. do the, the redraft in the next year or, or the year after, be like, how did he go 24th? You know? Exactly. That's 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 spot on. Who now? Now before we get into into some sleepers, there's basically three or four running backs this year who are in like who are in that that top tier group. It's unclear if any will be picked in the first round, or maybe we'll get a couple in the first round. Who's your favorite in the running back group? Yeah. So in our blitz mock, uh, we had no running backs go. Actually, we're halfway through the second round, and still no running backs have gone. So that tells you about positional value as well. Um, but in terms of running backs, so right now my number one rated running back is J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. Me too. Um, the one knock on him is he had a bunch of nagging lower body injuries, and you just don't want to see that from a running back. Yeah. Um, but in terms of pure like talent and how I, how I would use a running back in terms of like his efficiency, his explosion through the hole, his vision, all that is very, very good. My favorite running back and one of my favorite values because I think he's going to fall as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU. I think I'd much rather have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the end of the second round than I would have DeAndre Swift at the end of the first or J.K. Dobbins at the uh, beginning of the second. Because Edwards-Hilaire, he's tiny. He's 5'8", I mm-hmm. think, 5'8 yeah. or 5'9". But he's also 206 pounds and pretty stocky, and he can take a beating. And he knows how to run between the tackle. His start-stop ability and just like foot quickness is unparalleled. Um, and he's going to be a rock-solid running back, I think. And, it, it, you know, if a team like the Buccaneers who need a running back can get him in the late second or third round, I think that's going to be an absolute steal. Yeah, I, I'm with you. He was actually one of my top sleepers. Uh, it feels it feels weird to say coming off a national championship run right. where, where he was awesome in the playoff, awesome against Alabama, that, that he would be a sleeper. So, so he was one of mine. Who are some other sleepers that you are – and, and that you and the guys at Blitz are really high on? Yeah, so a few for you. Uh, there are two quarterbacks that I want to talk about. Anthony Gordon from Washington State uh-huh. right now is my number five quarterback. Uh, I think his poise is extremely impressive. He's very comfortable evading pressure while staying in the pocket, kind of doing that, like, sidestepping around the pocket, maneuvering around while keeping his eyes downfield. He knows how to scan the field, is decisive, has a quick release, and makes some outstanding off-platform throws. Uh, His arm strength is above average and not great, and his accuracy could improve. But he, again, like like we talked about with Jordan Love and Joe Burrow, like, it's just rare traits of being able to, you know, have that field pressure, you know, maneuver around the backfield while scanning the field and throwing the ball. So that's why he's my number five quarterback, and I think he could be a huge steal for a team like, you know, if the, if the Packers or Saints decide not to take a quarterback in the first or second round, Anthony Gordon, like the fourth or fifth, I think, is where he might go. I think that's a great opportunity for him to sit behind an all-time great and learn and then slide in. Uh, James Morgan from FIU is another quarterback that I love. He has a cannon of an arm and has major zip. 
his mechanics are really nice, over-the-top delivery with a balanced base. He's decisive and poised. Uh, his upside is capped because his mobility is limited. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of a pure thrower, I think he could be really solid in a team that has a great offensive line to protect him. Uh, so those are my two quarterbacks that I love. Uh, and we love at Blitz in general. Uh, there are a few other, three other major sleepers that I have. One is Derek Tuska from North Dakota State. It's an FCS guy. Yep. Uh, he had a suit. He's, he's a pass He's an edge rusher. Uh, he's a super high motor. He converts speed to power really well and has great explosion off the line. And he's kind of like a combination of Chase Winovich and Max Crosby. Okay. Um, so he, because in terms of the, the Chase Winovich comes from his super high motor, he's just absolutely relentless. And then the Max Crosby comes from his really experienced hand usage and pass rush moves. So he, I think, I think he's been rising up lately in boards. I could see maybe a fifth round for him is where he would go. Um, but I think he's going to be a huge steal at edge. Uh, in terms of running back, Sewell Alanalua from TSU, no, TCU. Sorry. Okay. Uh, he's he's kind of like a baby Derrick Henry. He's 6'3", 232. Wow. And ran a faster 20-yard shuttle than Cam Akers and Zach Moss. Okay. Uh, so he's extremely explosive. He wasn't used much at TCU and needs to work on kind of the running form and vision. But he's a lot of tools to be that like unique type of runner. I think it goes in the sixth or seventh round. Um, but you know, if you pair running back committee, five committees are being are becoming super popular these days. But if you pair him with kind of shiftier scat back, that'd be a great combination. The last one, we're going to give some love to the fullbacks. Uh, there's Bronson Reichsteiner from Kennesaw State. He's the son of a wrestler named of, of wrestler Rick Steiner, you know, the, the famous wrestler. Uh-huh. And if, if you just turn on his highlight tape on YouTube, he's just a bulldozer and a freak athlete. He played all over the place. And, you know, if, if you like football because you like to see people just destroy their opponent and just go all out every play, he's a guy that you love. And, it, you know, in an offense that wants a fullback or could use a fullback or some kind of guy to just move around the field in the backfield to line up in line and be a blocker, He's a great seventh round or undrafted free agent or priority undrafted free agent. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, he's so much fun to watch. Just turn on his highlight tape. You'll have a great time for those 10 minutes. Um, And then lastly, I have a a couple like super late, like seventh round or undrafted free agent guys to look uh, look onto. Uh, The first is Zach Larson. He's a center from Southern Utah. He's pretty solid anchor and coordination. There's Shane Zilstra. He's a wide receiver from Minnesota State. Uh, he's a big body, super solid route runner with a large catch radius. He can kind of be a chain mover type in an offense. Uh, maybe if he bulks up, moves to tight end. And there's Tyler Davis, tight end from Georgia Tech. He's a great blocker. Uh, he has a surprising amount of speed, and he could be a nice number two or three tight end in an offense. All right. So those are some, we got some good sleepers for like the first couple rounds, and then some deep, deep ones for day three. Now, just to wrap up here, I, I, I I know you're a super busy guy. Got you have a lot more film to get to. Yeah, yeah, a lot more for next week. Let's just run through the top five uh, of of your mock draft. So, so you got Burrow number one to to Cincinnati, complete lock, right? Yes. Two at Washington. You got. It's. I, I think Chase Young. I mean, okay. Now, I mean, again, there's there's rumors every day. I mean, like, yeah. It's so hard to keep up with what you think teams are going to do. I mean, I, I, if I were to put, if I were to put money on it, I would say Chase Young. Chase Young. Okay. Number two. Detroit uh, at three. Three. I think this is a trade up scenario. Okay. For the Dolphins or Chargers. Uh, 
if the Dolphins trade up, I think it would be for Tua, or, or the Chargers trade up, I think it would be for Tua. If Detroit ends up staying put, uh, I think it would be uh, Jeff Okuda to okay. take over for uh, Darius Light. Our, yeah, our Giants at four. I'm really hoping that you say not Derek Brown. Yeah, I mean, Derek, I th- I've heard Dave Gettleman loves Derek Brown, which makes sense, but I think it'll be Isaiah Simmons. I think Joe <sighs> Judge God. will have a fair amount of uh, input into the draft process. Okay, and and you mentioned Miami at five. They could trade up, but but if they don't, they're definitely quarterback here, right? Pretty much. definitely. I think pretty much definitely quarterback. I mean, yeah, it could be Tua or Herbert. Sounds like it's trending towards Herbert, um, but no one really knows. Mm-hmm. It could also be Jordan Love if they, for some reason, uh, you know, it's not being reported that they love him. So right, right, all right. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for taking the time to to join us today. That was that information was awesome. You, you could be found all your stuff at Blitz Analytics. It is Blitz like B L I T Z. Alytics, A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com. Do you have anything to, to plug? Uh, yeah, just if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's A-A-M-I-R-N-F-L. That's A-A-M-I-R-N-F-L. I'll be coming out with uh, top 10 positional rankings with a small strengths and weaknesses section for each prospect at each position. It'll be coming out right before the draft, maybe the day of the draft. Check us out there. Uh, check out our top five video series that we've been coming out with. Uh, I think we might have just wrapped it all up today, so it's mo- at least most of the positions should be on YouTube. Uh, and yeah, yeah, if you if you disagree with anything I said during this podcast, feel free to add me on Twitter. I'm happy to have uh, a, a nice cordial Twitter debate. For uh, sure, draft. For sure. All right, Alexander. Th- thanks so much, and uh, in- enjoy the draft. Thanks, David. You too. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. If you like this podcast, you could find us on iTunes or Spotify, and you can give us a rating or leave us a review. Uh, Five stars would be much, much appreciated. And you can follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Take care and make it a great day.